Amen. You may be seated. If you would bow with me in prayer and then we're going to open God's word together and look at Genesis three this morning. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you uh, for your many, many blessings. We do confess uh, right now as we just sang that we do need you. We need you to lead and to guide and to teach us and to correct us and to shape us. We thank you that you've given us uh, your, your life giving, life changing word. We thank you that it is living and active and that it, it, it shows us. Uh, what you're like. It shows us our sin, but then shows you the way that you love us and that you meet us in the midst of that. And we thank you for these things. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and that you would teach us, that you would guide us, that you would uh, convict us of the things that we need convicting of, but that you would point us more fully uh, to Jesus and what you've done for us in him. We pray that this time would be pleasing and honoring to you and that it would be about making much of your name. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I was thinking about it as we came in this morning and as, as we often start, you know, Luke started this morning with a welcome and a prayer. If we all came in and sat down today and, and instead of somebody getting up and, and doing a welcome or a prayer, if the screen, I don't know if you know this, but there's actually a screen behind this beam. If it came down here and on the screen was all of a sudden was a video and it started to play and the video is you, uh, just think about that for a second. Everybody's sitting here and we're all together and all of a sudden it's a video of you and it's kind of like all your low lights, like not your highlights, your low lights, all the things that you've blown it, right? The, uh, maybe just over the past couple of years, the times you've lost your temper, the times you are ugly to people, the times that you talk behind people's back, all those different things that are there. All of a sudden it's you and you can see yourself on the video one after another after another and everybody's watching with you. Can you imagine what that'd be like? I mean, I, I don't want to dwell on bad thoughts on that and feeling that, but I want you to think about that for just a second. What would that be like? If you came in and sat down and then you, to your horror, it's you. And it's your own voice and your own actions and your own things. What would that look like? I think at the very least, it would probably be embarrassing. Uh, pro- probably more than that. It might be a little scary. In fact, if we were really honest, it'd be pretty horrifying. You probably want to get up and just run out the back and be like, I'm never going back there. Forget that. Right. If that were to happen, what would that be like? And I want you just to think about that. Just let that kind of settle on you and think about that this morning for just a second. Today, we're going to look at Genesis three. And if you open your Bible and you look at it, almost always in all Bibles, we have these different headings. And Genesis three just says the fall. That's the picture that's there. The fall. It is the picture of the first man, Adam and Eve, that God's created and he's put them there. And it's their first sin. They rebel against God and all that comes with it. And what we're going to look at today and what we're going to think about is oftentimes maybe we gloss over. This is a very familiar story in the Bible. You've probably heard it before at different times. Adam and Eve and the serpent and, and the fruit and, and all that picture. And you've heard it since Sunday school if you've been around the church. Maybe you haven't heard it. But I think what we often forget is how profoundly sad and heart-wrenching this story is. What it is that happens here in the fall. What it is that's going on. In fact, I think what we're going to see as we open up and as we walk through it and we start to think about this together, we're going to see why the world that we live in is a mess in so many ways. It comes right back to this point, to this passage we're going to look at. I think it also gives us some insight on why when I describe that picture of the screen coming down and all of a sudden there's you and your mistakes in your life, how horrifying that is. I think this actually gives us some insight on why that is and what that looks like. And so what we're going to do this morning is real simple. We're just going to walk our way together through Genesis 3. 
And this is a huge foundational text for everything we believe and who we are as Christians and what this looks like and what this means. And so this is the way we're going to look at it simply, real, real simply. First, what happened? We're just going to look at the story and what happened here. Secondly, what are the results or the consequences to what happens? But then lastly, we're going to end with what does God do in the midst of this? Because right in the middle of the story, God is still there and he's still the center of all of it. And we're going to see what he does in response to man's rebellion against him. And so real simple, pretty straightforward outline, pretty simple, but incredibly important as we look at it together. So let's just start with the big picture of what happened. And let me remind you where we were last week. Actually, we'll start in chapter two, verse 25. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And we've talked about that the last couple of weeks, that God creates us in his image after his likeness to be his image bearers in his world that he's created. And then he puts man and woman together to show more fully what God is like together rather than separate. We're this image of him and it says he places them in the garden and he gives them this beautiful creation all around him and everything's perfect. And we see that summed up by they were naked and they were not ashamed. They were at rest. They were not hiding anything. Everything was great. They have this relationship with God where it's hinted at here in chapter three. They walked with God in the cool of the day. They spent time with God and with one another and everything was at perfect peace and perfect rest. And that's the picture. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. And it's all these things that God created it to be. And that's where we pick up in chapter three, verse one. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Remember, two weeks ago, God creates all things. He places Adam in the garden and he says, this is all yours for your use. And you're going to subdue the earth and you're going to do all these things and you're going to use it. But you cannot eat from this one tree. Trust me on this. There's one tree in the garden that I've set apart that I don't want you to eat from. And we've talked about that and we've touched on that at different times. But the picture is just the picture of a choice. God says you can either trust me or you cannot trust me. And he says, just trust me on this. Right. So that's what they're talking about in verse two. And so the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But you but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And so there's this picture that's here. The serpent that comes and begins to tempt them is in, they're in the garden. Now, as we read through scripture and we're unfolding Genesis, we get this picture of a serpent who shows up to tempt them. And we don't really know what's going on at this point in the Bible. If you just open your Bible and you start reading through, it's just a snake that's talking. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you see it. What we get fleshed out for us later in scripture is the, the, the serpent is Satan. And Satan is an angel who rebelled against God and seeks to take down God's creation with him. And that's the picture that we see in Scripture. That's the picture that's unfolded there. And so I'm just giving you kind of a, a flash ahead that's actually a flashback, if that makes sense at all. It tells us this later in the Bible, but it's already happened at this point. And so he seeks to destroy God's good creation. He's rebelled against God. 
wanting to take his place and God expels him from from heaven. He throws him out. And so he does the next best thing he can think to do is I'm going to destroy the one thing that made in God's image. And so I'm going to seek to go after them. And so I want you to see how he does it in the picture that's here. Satan shows up and he asks a question with extreme sarcasm and kind of mockery to it. Did God really say that? And he begins to plant the seeds of doubt and ask some questions and bring those things in. And I want you just to think about everything we've talked about to this point. If you've been here with us, if you haven't a review for you real quickly, but everything that we are, everything that we see, everything in all our being, we exist because God says so. We are created by the power of God's word and we are held in place by the power of God's word. God's word is the ultimate reality. When he speaks, things happen. That's the way things are. And so I want you just to think about what the serpent is doing when he shows up. The first step before they get anywhere down the road and following what he tells them is just the fact that he suggests that he would even suggest that it's legitimate to question God's word. That's exactly what he says. Did he really say that? And then he starts to ask them. He starts to twist it a little bit. He starts to go, oh, no, no, that's not really how it is. He's hiding something from you. And he starts to twist and kind of turn it. And instead of responding the way that God's told us to, which is to to come before his word with fear and trembling. Now, when we say those kind of words, people go, I don't like that. Come before God with fear and trembling in his word. The truth is that we exist because God says so. We should come with a holy, reverent honor to his word. And the serpent suggests that it's okay for us to question it. It's okay for us to reinterpret it. It's okay for us to say that's not really what he meant or what he said. And that's exactly what he does here. And he begins to plant these seeds and ask these questions. And he goes, oh, you surely won't die. That he outright contradicts God's word. But I want you to see what happens and how they get into so much trouble. And I want you to listen carefully because it's the same reason that we get into trouble. It's the same reason that we struggle in our lives with sin and frustration and all the things that we're going to see enter here. He plants the seed that it's legitimate to question God's word, but then look at what the woman does, how she responds. Verse six. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Look at the way that she goes through this. It says she looks and she sees and it's a delight to her eyes. And then she feels like this could be something that would be good. And so instead of operating in reverence to what God has clearly told her, he said, she says, I'll look and I'll think about it. And it looks good to me and I feel good about this. So I'm going to go against what God has told me and operate on what I see and what I feel in this moment. It's the exact same thing that we do when we decide to ignore God in the world that he created. I say that often, if you've been here before, that sin is ignoring God in the world he created. We can also say sin is rebelling against what God has told us clearly, which is exactly what they do here. He says, if you eat from this tree, you will die. 
You can eat from all of them except for this one. And they decide that it'd be a good idea to go out on their own and redefine how they do that. And so they do. And they eat from the tree. And it says in verse 7, And then their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And you see this picture here. Instead of responding to God in His world that He created as He ordained it, as He made it, they decide to go out on their own, and all of a sudden everything comes crashing down in an instant. And that takes us to the second point of what happened, what were the results of them not trusting God. They said, what happened is the serpent tempted them and they decided that it would be a good idea to go ahead and do that. And so then the the question becomes, what are the consequences? What are the results? And when I read verse 7, and their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked. This is one of the most profoundly sad verses in all of Scripture. In that moment, everything changed. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now I want you to see the huge change that happens right there in an instant. They go from in verse 25 to the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed and everything was in perfect peace. And they were resting and they had nothing to hide and there were no issues and there were no problems. And then they decided to define themselves by what they felt and what they thought rather than what God had said. And in an instant, they realized they're naked. And they're suddenly ashamed. They're so ashamed that they're seeking to cover up and to hide. Not only are they covering up and hiding, they're they're now afraid They're afraid. It says that God says, where are you? And it says, I heard the sound of you and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Do you see the change in one instant from everything perfect at peace, all of it together, nothing to be shamed about everything out in the open to all of a sudden now we're hiding and we're scared. And you see it in an instant. Relationally, they go from perfect harmony to pointing fingers at one another. It's that woman that you gave me. She gave it to me. And the woman says it was the serpent. Instead of being completely open and honest and nothing to hide, now they're, they're pointing fingers. And you see their relationship, even in this instant, beginning to unravel. They've gone against the way that God has made everything. And it's a horrible, horrible, sad picture that we see. Now, Adam and Eve, in that moment... At that time, they don't know the fullness of the theology that we know that God's revealed to us in his word. They they know what they were told. Don't eat of this and trust me. And they decided not to. That's about all they know. But what they know now is we're naked and I'm scared and I feel like I should cover up and I should hide myself. And it's a sad, sad picture. And I want you to think about why in an instance they go from everything being open and fine to suddenly hiding and scared. Go back to the definition I just gave you. Sin is ignoring God in the world he created. 
Our sin is rebelling against what God has clearly told us. Don't eat from this tree. We eat from the tree. God says, trust me in this. And we go, no, I think I'll look at it and I'll survey the situation. And I'll do how I feel about it. I want you to understand and see this because it's so very important and it's so very practically important to our culture right now. But all sin, all sin is ultimately against God. All of it. We've taken that and sought to redefine it. That it's not really sin if you don't hurt someone else. We say it's okay if I'm doing this as long as I'm not hurting anyone else in the process. It's okay. That's what our culture says all the time. And it's made its way even into the church instead of defining sin the way God says it, which is it's we, when we ignore what he's told us, we've decided that, well, if nobody gets hurt, it's all right. It's okay for me to lie to you if your best in, I have your best interest in heart. It'd be better if you didn't know this, so I'll just lie to you. Well, I have now ignored what God has clearly told me to do when he says don't lie. But I've made it to be between people. Probably the best example I can think of in our culture. Sex outside of marriage is fine because it's two consenting adults. No one gets injured. No one's hurt. Who cares? What business is it yours what somebody does in their own privacy? But God says that's not the way I designed it. He says sex is the function inside of marriage between a man and a woman in a committed monogamous relationship for life. That's God's design. And what we say is we look at it and we go, I think I know better. I think I understand how this works better than you do, God. And so what we do is we rebel against what God has clearly told us. Or take it to the other side. We will most of the time say uh, to cheat on your spouse is a sin because you really injure or hurt that person. Again, we're defining it by how someone else is hurt. Now, let's be clear. When we sin, we do hurt other people. People get hurt by our rebellion against God. We're going against the way things are made and people end up the collateral damage in it. But let's be clear. Sin is against a holy, righteous, perfect God. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but Jesus shows up on the scene in the Gospels and he starts forgiving people's sins. Have you ever thought about how radical that is? How crazy that is? Right? If, if you've really wronged me, say you cheated me out of a lot of money and Jesus shows up and he goes, it's OK. It's no problem. I forgive you. I'd be like, oh, wait a second. What about my money? Right. He can do that because all sin at its root is actually against God. We've ignored what God's told us. He is the one that defined reality. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. And so it all comes back to him. And we oftentimes don't see it that way. We decide that that's not really true. But I want you to really feel the weight of this when we think about it. Each time that we choose to go against what God's clearly told us. Each time that we just decide to, to not do it the way God said. Excuse me for saying this, but it's like saying to God, screw you. I don't need you. I can do this on my own. Can you imagine the creator God of the universe that holds you together by the power of his word. And you go, I don't need you. I got it. 
That's exactly what they do here. He says, just trust me. You can have everything that I've given you. Just this one thing. I want you to trust me on this. And they go, you know what? It looks pretty good. I think I'll go with it. It's what our sin is. Our sin is rebelling against the holy, perfect God that has your best interest at heart. He knows exactly the way his creation was made. He knows exactly how it fits together. He knows exactly how it will flourish, how you will flourish in it. And he says, I love you so much. I want you to follow the way I've made it. And we go, no, thanks. I say all that to say when you get to verse nine and the Lord God called to the man and he says, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Why? Why is he scared and hiding and covering himself? Because he knows he's offended a holy, righteous, perfect God who's given him everything. And he feels it in that moment. But I'd say the Bible says that we all know that. Paul will say in Romans that our conscience bears witness to the fact that we've offended a holy, perfect God and we know it. That's why when I say, can you imagine the screen coming down and you being on it? What would that feel like? You'd want to go hide. You'd want to go cover yourself. You'd want to run away. Don't look at me. I don't want you to see this. That's the reality of our sin before a holy, perfect, righteous God. And here's the sadness of this. Right in the midst of this, as they seek to do that, as they decide to define themselves in this way, they go from being naked and unashamed and everything in perfect harmony and perfect peace and perfect rest to scared out of their minds. To struggling, to pointing fingers, to going through all these things. All these things that enter when we decide to define ourselves the opposite of the way God's created us to be. And what it does, and we've been saying this every week, is God made us in his image after his likeness to be in perfect relationship, to be in relationship with him, to define ourselves by loving God and loving others. And as soon as sin enters into that, we have breached that relationship. We no longer have perfect communion to where we're naked and unashamed and with him in his immediate presence. Because God is holy and righteous and perfect in every way. And when we say to him, I don't need you and I've got this, we've broken that relationship. We can no longer be in perfect communion together. God is not only perfect love and perfect mercy and kindness and long suffering. He's also perfect justice. And when we decide to say, no, thanks, we turn our back to him. It's his world that he created. And now his perfect, righteous judgment rests on us. And they knew it. And I would say to you, we know it. When we think about our own sin and feel the weight of that, we know that. And that's the picture of what happens and the consequences of what happens. The weight of that. So what does God do in the midst of that picture? They're hiding and they're afraid. 
And they're trying to figure this out. And so it says, verse 9, And the Lord God called to the man and he said, Where are you? It says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and ate. I want you just to start right there. When God says, where are you? Does he know where they are? Of course. Exactly. So what's he doing? Like a loving father to his child who's blown it. He comes to seek him out. Where are you? He says, I'm afraid and I'm hiding. He says, well, why? Who told you you were naked? They knew it. Because they decided to define themselves apart from God. They decided to say, we don't need you. They knew the holiness of God that they stood before. And they were afraid. But what does God do? He comes to them And he seeks them out. And he goes, what are you doing? Where are you? And then he begins to tell them the consequences of what's going on. He turns first to the serpent and he says, you're going to be cursed. You're going to go to the ground on your belly. You're going to always be. That's why snakes are evil. If you didn't know that. I say I have theological reasons to still hate snakes. But he tells them, he curses him to the ground. And then he turns and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He says there's always going to be issues. And he turns to the woman and he says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. And in your pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. You're going to seek to define yourself in all these ways that will never bring you completeness or rest. And it's going to be a struggle for the rest of your life. That's what he says. And then he turns to Adam and he says, I gave you work to do. And he says, now it's going to be really hard. The work that I gave you, the good work, we talked about this just recently the last few weeks, that work God has given us is his good gift to us. But now he says, because of your sin, you're going to seek to get your identity from your work and it's going to crush you. It's going to be really, really hard when you do that. It's going to be difficult and there's going to be struggles. And the sin of everyone involved in it is going to bring those struggles to bear. He says, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. He says you're going to die. And I want you to think about that whole picture of what God shows up and does here. Because he's already told them in chapter 2, if you take and eat of the tree, you will surely die. God would have been perfectly right. He would have been perfectly just to the moment they took a bite of the fruit to wipe them out then and there. He would have been right. He already told them, if you eat from this, you will die. He could have at that moment been done with them. 
But he seeks them out and he says, where are you? And he begins to show them and he tells them the consequences and look at what's going to happen. And you see the picture that's there. And in those moments, they feel the fullness of all of this come crashing down on them. They see all of it. Suddenly they see what they've done. What their sin has cost them. Sinners before a holy God in the midst of that. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think we can feel or know the depths of sadness in what just happened. See, we were born on this side of the fall and we've only ever known our sinful heart. They saw it as it was and then they fell. I don't know that we can fully grasp that completely. And you see this, the weight of this in this moment. And then you say, well, what, what does God do? He tells them those things. He shows them the consequences of it, but he's not done. Look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the garden, or to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned away, turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Do you understand what he's saying? He says if they were to re- reach out and now take of the tree of life, they would be sealed in a sinful state forever. And God's grace says, I'm not going to allow that to happen. I'm not going to allow you to spend eternity like this. And so he guards that. And he takes and he makes them clothes. It says, verse 21, garments of skins. Then he clothed them. Where did he get the clothes? Had to make a sacrifice of an animal to be able to clothe them. Well, you start to see what God's doing right here at the very beginning of the garden. They sin and they transgress. And he says, you're, you're hiding and you're full of shame and you're full of guilt and I will cover that for you. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to make a sacrifice and I'm going to take that and I'm going to clothe you in it. Right there at the beginning. He says, yes, you've blown it. Yes, it's going to be harder now. Yes, there are consequences that come with it, but I'm going to fix it. See, tucked away right in the middle of the consequences he gives them, In Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, talking to the serpent, to Satan. He says, there will always be enmity between you and man going down. But then he says, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So we call the proto-evangel. The first gospel is right there. He says, through Eve is going to come one who is going to crush the serpent's head. It's going to fix this entire mess. We know, what they didn't know at the moment, is Jesus is going to be the one who comes through the seed of Eve. And He's going to crush the serpent's head. And instead of just clothing us in the skins of animals, He's going to clothe us in His perfect righteousness as He becomes the sacrifice. He says, I'm not going to leave you like that. 
I'm not going to allow you to reach out and take the tree of life. I'm going to guard you against that because now I'm setting in motion a plan in which I'm going to come to redeem you. That's what God's like. Yes, His perfect, holy, righteous anger burns against our sin, but God is full of mercy and loving kindness. And He says, I will come and I will fix it. And I will do what you never can do for you. And just as I make a sacrifice to cover your shame and guilt in this moment, I will make the ultimate sacrifice to do away with your shame and guilt as I crush the serpent's head. And that's what Jesus does. And here's the glorious good news as we read that and we see the depths of the fall from where they fell to where they are and how we feel that now. Or I I talk about the the screen coming down and you see that and you feel at least in a little bit in part what Adam and Eve felt in that moment. And then God says, but in Jesus, I'm going to return you to the rest. I'm going to return you to the garden. I'm going to return you to being naked and unashamed and being able to rest in what Jesus does and nothing else. That's what God's like. still can't understand it. That I regularly say, no thanks God, I got this on my own and his response is, I'm going to keep coming after you. I'm going to keep pursuing you and drawing you back to me so that you can rest in me. That is the God we serve. That is the picture that's there. Even in Genesis 3 when they can't see all of it, that God is so gracious and loving and kind. That's what he does. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news that even in those very, very early moments and the very first sin and our first rebellion against you, that your immediate response was your grace and your love and your mercy and the plan that you set in place. That it places Jesus right as the center of all human history. We thank you for that. We thank you that you love us and you care for us. We thank you that in the midst of our rebellion of telling you over and over that we don't need you, that you continue to just graciously draw us to yourself. That you restore us through what only you can do. And all we can say is thank you. And we do thank you. We thank you for your great love and mercy for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.